0: Well, friends we've all heard those famous words a picture is worth a thousand words but friends what you may not know is that that popular adage did not come from Confucius it did not come from some other Chinese guru but that famous saying a picture is worth a thousand words was actually invented by American advertising experts of the 20th century you see these advertisers knew that if companies were truly going to be effective in reaching Mr. and Mrs. American with their products, well, they needed to implement some eye-catching graphics and pictures in their advertising. Now, family, this particular saying was really driven home to me not too long ago as I was sitting up to the countertop in my kitchen, and I was snacking on a very popular name brand cheese cracker as I was sitting there munching away there on the back of this box was this picture a fantastic picture that truly captured the spirit of this product it truly was a picture worth a thousand words so I want you to take a look at this picture right here whoever came up with this picture is an advertising genius here is a picture with very few words, yet it communicates a tremendous amount of information about this product. Here's this giant cheddar cheese wheel with one little tiny square that's missing. Then down in front is a tiny little square cheddar cheese cracker. Friends, isn't that brilliant? I mean, that is genius. No lengthy description. No, a big paragraph full of words, no long essay, just a picture. Just one picture, and yet that picture illustrates in a tremendous way the very taste of that product. Well, friends, we're going to open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians, and today in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to listen as the Apostle Paul presents some pictures, some word pictures, not for the purpose of advertising, not for the purpose of selling, but for the purpose of encouraging and for the purpose of educating Christians, Christians like you and me, and some truth that we need to learn about the true nature of the church of Jesus Christ and the great privileges that have been extended to you and me to participate in the body of Jesus Christ. Family, without a doubt, a picture can communicate an enormous amount of theological truth biblical truth. And as we get here uh, into Ephesians 2, Paul is explaining, he's expounding much about the church. He's teaching these new believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, he's teaching them about the church. And here in this section, Paul is going to teach them with three pictures, three really amazing pictures or three analogies that would come alongside and assist these Ephesians in their understanding of who they are in the church family today in this message on the church in pictures you and I are going to consider these three amazing word pictures we're gonna think about the truth that these pictures convey and we're gonna consider the relevance of these three pictures and the relevance of this truth for our Christian lives in the church here and now now family thinking about the the broader context of Paul's letter to the Ephesians throughout chapter 2 Paul had been carefully unpacking and explaining this, this new unity that Jesus created. This unity that Jesus creates between Gentiles and Jews. Uh, two races of people that for generations and generations had been separated from each other. Jews separated from Gentiles for millennia. They were enemies of one another, but Paul is explaining how Christ has made one new body These two groups that had been so far away from each other for so long were now, through the work of Jesus, brought together in the truth of the gospel. Well, friends, as Paul explains that, how this division, how this distance had been conquered, and how Jesus makes this one new family, here in verses 19 through 22, where we'll be this morning, we're going to look at, as Paul writes, three-word pictures Three vivid word pictures about the church. And these pictures are packed with such meaning, such relevance, and such encouragement for our hearts even here and now. So friends, as we look at these verses this morning, what are these three pictures? What are these three great word pictures inspired by the Holy Spirit given to us in God's Word uh, to help us understand who we are in the church? What are these pictures and, and how do they impact our Christian lives even today. Well, let's look at these three word pictures together and I hope you'll take a few notes there in your bullets and here's the first one number 1 as we talk about every believer number 1 every believer is a fellow citizen with the saints of God throughout history. Here's the first word picture that Paul is going to present number 1 every believer is a fellow citizen with the saints of God throughout history. Now, I hope you have your Bible open to the New Testament Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're picking up in chapter two, uh, beginning in verse 19. Paul writes, "So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints." Now, family, as we're jumping into the text here, the first thing that you'll notice, of course, of in verse 19, is how verse 19 begins with that special phrase. So then, so then, what that's telling us is that Paul's now coming to a conclusion. He's been teaching some truths, now he's going to apply those truths. And that's what he does here. He's been explaining some of these facts, some of these theological truths, and now he's going to draw some conclusions based on those facts. Well, what were some of the facts that Paul was highlighting? Well, we won't take time to do so, but if you were to just skim back through verses 11 to 18... Paul has been explaining to the Ephesian Christians that for generations and generations, Jews and Gentiles were separated from each other. They were enemies of one another. Great distance was there between them. However, when Jesus Christ came, when He came on His redemptive mission, He accomplished two very important purposes for everyone who would ever believe on Him. First of all, of course, we know Jesus reconciled sinners back to God that was an important thing Jesus did he reconciled sinners back to God but secondly Jesus also united all people groups together all those who would believe on Jesus he unites all of them in one new spiritual family and that's what the good news of the gospel is all about that Jesus has come to break down all these former divisions and everyone who believes on him they're now united together As one in him so Paul's teaching this truth but now he wants to apply it he wants to help people see how it touches their lives and he starts to draw some of these conclusions and in order to draw some great conclusions Paul gives some great word pictures now the first one there we read in verse 19 and the word picture is the citizen the citizen look at verse 19 Paul says, because of all that Christ accomplished, you Ephesians, you were Gentiles by birth. What Paul says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Now that word stranger is a word that literally means an outsider. And an alien is someone who resides in a country that's not their own. And many of your Bibles might actually have the word foreigner there, the word foreigner. So believers, what Paul is helping us understand here is that because of Jesus, because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf, those of us who used to be on the outside looking in, those of us who used to be outsiders, we were foreigners to the things of God. Paul says, now, now you are fellow citizens with the saints fellow citizens with the saints in other words because of jesus we are now fellow citizens with the grand company of god's people throughout all human history now that word saint is an important word it means holy ones god's not talking about some special group of categorized saints no every believer in jesus christ is a saint, according to the New Testament. The word saint means holy one. And everyone who's ever believed on Jesus Christ as Savior is in that company of God's holy ones. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. You are one of the holy ones. Not because you're holy, but because Jesus is, and you've put your faith in Him. Friends, think about it with me for just a moment. Think about for how many thousands of years had God dealt only with the nation of Israel. God was working primarily for generations and generations just with that nation, only the nation of Israel. But through Christ, the Bible says you and I are now made citizens of a new nation. A spiritual nation has been born by the work of Jesus, a spiritual nation of God's holy people. Down through the ages who have put their trust in Him. And the Bible says all of them come together as this new spiritual nation. They are true citizens of heaven. Look in your notes there, friends. I gave you, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. The Bible says this, but you, He's speaking to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Philippians 3, verse 20. Remember, this is another great scripture. Paul writes Philippians three twenty. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Christian friend, let me ask you this morning, do you ever stop to realize how marvelous your position is as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And do you realize how special that is? Do you, do you know who you really are? Do you realize who you are in Jesus? Have you ever stopped to consider this great fact? Full citizenship is yours. Full citizenship with, with all the blessings that heaven has to offer. Do you realize in whose company you stand as a believer in Jesus? Think of all the great Bible heroes of the past. Think of all the great disciples that served Jesus. Think of all the great heroes of church history that have served Jesus so faithfully. You are with them. We are one precious people under God. Look, if you look back at world history, you see a world that is divided. You think about that. It's true. This world that we walk on in every way, has always been divided it's always been that way always divided we divide by race we divide by economics gender politics social status and you know what divides us the most sin divisions are all around us but yet the Bible says the great truth of the gospel says that for those who have believed on Jesus Christ all of those former divisions All of those previous distinctions that divided people, they are set aside. For everyone who has believed on Jesus by faith, we are now united together. We are together as this new spiritual nation. We are all equal citizens together in God's heavenly kingdom. And friend, the Bible says that's a kingdom that's going to last. It's going to last for eternity Friend, with that said, I would just ask you to examine your, yourself today. Think about yourself. Examine your own heart and ask yourself, do I really belong in God's kingdom? Am I really a citizen of God's kingdom? Friend, I would ask you, ask yourself, can you say with confidence that you have that citizenship, that you do belong to that special nation, God's holy nation, or are you still an outsider? Are you still a foreigner? to the gospel. Dear listener, I would tell you there is no greater tragedy today. There is no greater tragedy than to be in a church but not be of the church. What a shame. Millions and millions of people, even on this day, will be in church. They are in church, but they are not of it. It's because they have not put their trust truly in Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, if you've never believed on Jesus as your Savior, well, friend, I pray today is the day that you put your trust in Christ. I pray today's the day that you'll confess your sin and your brokenness and you'll realize that Jesus came to be a Savior, a Savior for people like us, people like me and you. We're sinners and we need Christ. Friend, the Bible commands you to turn from your sins, turn from your sins. That's called repentance. And you believe on Jesus Christ by faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. To turn from your sins with a broken heart and to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to forgive me. Only you can make me a citizen of heaven. Well, friends, let's move on, okay? I want us to look into the second half of verse 19. And there in the second half of verse 19, we get a second word picture. We're looking at three word pictures that describe who we are in the church of Jesus Christ. So here's a second word picture that illustrates who we are in the body of Christ. Here's number two. Every believer is a family member in God's household. So the first picture was that of the citizen. Here's the second word picture Paul gives us. Every believer is a family member in God's household. Look again at verse 19 of our text. Paul says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, friends, here in that second half of verse 19, Paul gives the Ephesian Christians, and he gives us another word picture that illustrates who we are. This great picture, this illustration of of our status in Christ. And friends, I want you to see this. This second picture, in some ways, is even better. It's even more special than the first picture. Remember that first word picture? We said everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ by faith is a citizen. We're equal citizens together in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But notice now you get a second picture that all believers are members of the household of God. Now, this is a better picture. This is even better. This is even more encouraging. And the reason why this second picture is so much more precious is because this second picture is a much closer proximity. This second picture gives us a much more intimate relationship than the first one does. I want you to think of it like this. All of you here this morning are American citizens. And so you understand what it's like. You're a citizen. The people sitting next to you, citizens. People sitting in front of you and behind you, citizens. You understand what it's like to have that equal citizenship amongst fellow Americans. And if you think about it, now we don't think about it often, but your citizenship and that equality of citizenship applies not just to you and to the people sitting here, but your citizenship is shared equally amongst the mayor of Hazleton, you have equal citizenship with the mayor of Hazleton, the governor of Pennsylvania, the congressmen and senators from Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court justices of the United States. You share equal citizenship with them. Even the president of the United States himself, you're equal with him in citizenship. There's an equality there. But this second picture goes a little deeper. It goes a little closer The second picture is that of a family. Now, you may have equal citizenship with the President of the United States, but what you do not have with the President of the United States is that family connection. You are not in the President's close inner biological circle of family. You see, we all understand this. Family ties are deeper, family ties are closer than formal ones. Now, the Germans have a famous way of describing this, and you've all used this phrase, blood is thicker than water. That's German. That comes from the German people. They use that famous saying to communicate that the bonds of family are much stronger than any other bonds or commonalities that might bring people together. Blood is thicker than water. It's about family. Yes, citizenship is important. There's equal citizenship. But what about family? Those bonds are even closer. Those bonds are even tighter. Well, guess what, friends? Do you see what Paul's doing here in the second half of verse 19? Yes, as wonderful it is as it is to be a fellow citizen with all of God's people, His saints down through the ages. We, we have a citizenship in heaven that will never be taken away from us. Heaven is our home country. But notice, the connection we have as family is even stronger. And the Bible says, for all of those who have received Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is not just a formal one, it's a family one. Did you see that? Look at it again in verse 19. Members of the household of God. So the Bible says we are now God's special children. We're in His family We're members of His household, and guess what? We call Him our loving Father. Remember John 1, verse 12. is in your notes there. John wrote these words, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to be called, what is it? Children of God. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, it says, because you are sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, friend, this is the point. Nothing is, nothing is more sweet, nothing is more satisfying than being a member of God's heavenly household. To be a member of His family. That's what it means when you belong to Christ. When you're inside the church, you belong to God's family. Believers, you and I should never take that for granted. Don't ever let that truth become old hat to you. What privileges have been given to you? You are a member of God's family. He's your father. You're his child. And just think of some of the privileges that have been given to you. You come before him in prayer and you speak to him, not in fear, but you speak to him with great love because he's your father. He's your father, and so you can pray to him. And because of that, you know that you're in a family. Because of this family, you look around and you say, wow, these aren't just strangers to me here in the room today. This this is my family. We say, good morning, good morning, family. Is that just because we are trying to schmooze you and make you feel happy about life? No, that's 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 who we are. We have that blessing. We have brothers and sisters all around us who love us and support us, encourage us, and sometimes even come after us in our spiritual journey. We're members of God's family. That means we're special to His heart. We matter to Him. And not only do we matter to Him, He he wants to use us. He wants to use us for His purposes and plans. He he lets us be used to accomplish His will in this world. He lets us be messengers of His gospel. He lets us be a part of strengthening His church. He, He lets us be involved in advancing His kingdom. So I guess the Germans were right. Blood is thicker than water. But guess what? It's not human blood that unites this group. It's the blood of Jesus, isn't it? The blood of Jesus that binds us together. Well, so far we've looked at two word pictures, but there's one more. a One more picture that describes the the position and the privilege of every believer. Here's number three. Every believer is a finely crafted stone in God's holy temple. Here's this third picture. Number three, every believer is a finely crafted stone in God's holy temple. So look at our text again. We'll pick it up in verse 20. We'll read down to verse uh, 22. Paul says that we're built, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, Christian friends, from the very onset of creation, God had fellowship with men and women, right? From the dawn of creation, God had fellowship with men and women, not because He is needy, but because we are. Well, early there in the chapters of Genesis, we see God and man together. God is there even walking there in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's there. He's with the people. He was with Adam and Eve walking with them in the garden. Well, later on, we get to the book of Exodus and we get, again, we see God with his people and scripture talks about God dwelling with his people by means of that temporary tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle, that traveling tent that the people of God used to set up, and that was a tent that would show to them God's presence with them. And of course, later on, we get into the time of David and the other kings, and God makes His presence known no longer in a temporary tent that would be traveled around, but ultimately a more permanent structure was made called the temple. And there, the temple was that special place that God would manifest His presence and to show that He was with His people. Well, friends, when we get to the New Testament, and particularly here in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that no longer is God dwelling with people in man-made structures. He's not dwelling with His people in these tabernacles or, or temple structures. The New Testament teaches us that God is now dwelling in the hearts of His people. Through Christ, people who have trusted in Christ, God is now dwelling in them, and they are His dwelling place. Look at verse 21. Paul says their believers are His temple. Believers are God's temple. He dwells in us corporately, and He dwells in us individually as a living church. So can I tell you the truth? This building is not the church. This is not the church. You are the church. You are the church. Smash this building to the ground. Grace Baptist Church lives on. Because Grace Baptist Church is not this building. It's these people. Grace Baptist Church is the people. The people are the dwelling place of God. The true church is not a physical building, it is a spiritual building, and that's this spiritual picture that Paul's giving us here in the text. The word picture here is this temple, this structure, this building. And I want to show you here, it has three components. So jot these three components down. Don't miss these three components. This, this spiritual building, right? This spiritual building that you and I are a part of. It has three components. There's a foundation, the building's foundation. Write that down. We see that in verse 20. Everybody knows this. Even little children know this. Anytime you build a permanent building, a structure, a home, an office building, every permanent structure needs to have a solid foundation. Without a foundation, it, the ground gets too squishy and stuff just sinks down. You have to have a solid foundation. And so it is with this spiritual building that Paul's describing here. It does have a foundation. What is the foundation of this spiritual building, this spiritual thing called church What is the foundation? Look at verse 20. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, who are these people? Who were these unique men? Well, the apostles and prophets were specifically chosen, special men, gifted men, chosen by God to launch the New Testament church. The apostles, you remember, to be an apostle had a qualification. To be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. And so, apostles were specially picked men, hand-picked. They saw the risen Christ, and they were commissioned by the risen Christ to write down the New Testament Scriptures, to preach the good news of the Gospel, to do many signs and wonders, to uh, authenticate their preaching, and of course, to launch and establish churches there are no more apostles today. The apostles were those a special group of men whose time has passed. They, but they were so important for the foundation of the church being built. Another group you see there it might surprise you. It's the prophets. Not only the apostles, but the prophets were used by God in the launch, the initial build of the New Testament church. Now listen to me. The the prophets that Paul is speaking about here are not Old Testament prophets. He's not talking about Old Testament prophets here. He's talking about New Testament prophets. He's talking about special men in the times of the early church who had special prophetic gifts. They were spokesmen from God. Remember, the Scriptures were still being written. And at that time, God was still using some prophets, giving them special revelation to give to those early believers so they knew how to obey God and what instructions they were to fulfill. So you have the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But then notice the cornerstone. Essential to every foundation is a cornerstone. Now, of course, many of you know what a cornerstone is. Typically, a cornerstone is the very first stone that is laid when a new building is going under construction. Typically, it's the first stone and it's the most important stone because the cornerstone is what sets forth the, the primary angles and the lines of that building. Look at your notes there. I gave you a great quote from uh, from R.C.H. Lenski. He, he says this quote, "...the cornerstone was set at a corner of a wall so that its outer angle became important." The angle of the cornerstone governs all the lines and all the angles of that building. That's right. A cornerstone is like the guideline that sets the parameters for the footprint of that building. The cornerstone is the measure. It's the guide. It's the standard by what sets the print for that building. And so, friends, with that image in mind, notice what Paul says there in that verse we read. Who is the cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself is the chief cornerstone of the church. Now, this is where you and I will have to wrangle a little bit with some of our friends and neighbors who attend the Roman Catholic Church. Because for generations, the Roman Catholic Church has tried to assert that the church has been built on Peter. They say that Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. They say that Peter was the first pope. And Jesus was saying that yes, Jesus, or yes, Peter, the the whole church is going to be established on you and the whole following of popes that would follow after you as your successors. But friend, the New Testament does not teach that truth. The church is not built on Simon Peter. Jesus never said that the church would be built on Simon Peter or his successors. Jesus said that the church would be built on himself. He is the Savior. He's the head of the church. He is the Son of God. He is the chief cornerstone, not Peter. And how do we know that? Because Peter himself said it. 1 Peter 2.4 1 Peter 2.4 Peter writes, And you come to Him. Speaking of Jesus, You come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Peter, one verse later, he quotes the Old Testament. Isaiah, in verse six, 1 Peter 2, verse 6, Peter writes, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. You see, friends, the point is this. This living building of which you and I are a part, this spiritual building, it's called the church, it doesn't stand on any mere mortal. Do you hear that? Do you hear what I'm saying? The church does not depend on a mere mortal. Not a pastor. Not a missionary. Not anyone deacon. Not anyone servant. Not any one leader. The Bible says the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ, His church is secure. Now, can I show you a second component here? We're, we're talking about this building. We're talking about the components that go into it. Here's the second component, the formation. The formation. We talked about the foundation. What about the formation? We see this in verse 21. Verse 21, Paul, he's continuing this analogy here of the building. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the one in which the whole building, look what Paul says there, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, friends, what's so important about this is the the manner in which Jesus is going about this. What is the manner in which Jesus is going about building His church? Well, look at that little phrase there. It's being joined together. That's a phrase that has the idea of skill. There's skill, there's expertise, there's craftsmanship. In other words, as Jesus is building His church, it's not done sloppily. It's not It's not done poorly. It's not done haphazardly. No, each believer is being shaped and honed and formed and expertly put in place in exactly the right place in order that God's church would grow. You know, if you... Find your way down onto Route 61, uh, heading down towards Cabela's, going towards Reading. On Route 61, there you'll pass an interesting place. It's the Glen Gary Brick Factory. If you've ever driven down 61, you've seen it. You can't miss it. It's enormous. It's this massive factory. And right there, out alongside Route 61, you will see millions, and I'm not exaggerating, millions and millions of red bricks that are all stacked up on these massive pallets. Listen, friend, when those bricks are there kind of stacked on a pallet, not much beauty there, nothing really to look at, not much to see there, kind of boring, not not beautiful in any way all strapped together with metal straps. But when does the beauty come? Well, you know, when that master bricklayer, he takes that brick one by one, and what does he do? He he fits them all together, makes this beautiful home, and you've seen it. Beautiful entryways and and arches and strong walls, and then you look at these bricks and you see what the master bricklayer can create, and you say, wow, what an amazing structure that is. And only then, as the bricks are put into place one by one, that's when you see those bricks forming their function, their function coming to pass. And Christian, so it is with you. That's what Jesus is doing with you, new friend, dear friend. You understand that? You're not just coasting along from now until you get to heaven. No, Jesus is doing something with you. 1 Peter 2, verse 5, You yourselves are like living stones being built up a spiritual house. Listen, you alone, you by yourself, <clears throat> sorry to break it to you, not much to look at. You're not much. Guess what? I'm not either. You're not much. But in the hands of Jesus, now we're talking. Now, now Jesus is going to do something with you. He's bringing you into his building, his spiritual building, his church. You're being raised up. Paul says, fitted together. You're becoming this magnificent structure, this spiritual building. What's it going to do? It shines forth the amazing grace. Of God now last one here's that last component the building's function the building's function is in verse 22 when we talk about function now we're getting down to brass tacks the why 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 a church why a structure the spiritual building what what's Christ doing why is he fitting you together into this living temple well the reason is in verse 22 is that you and I would be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit Remember back in the Old Testament, how did God be with His people? It was, in the, it was in the tabernacle. He was there in the temple. And in many ways, God's presence was shielded from most of the people. The lion's share of the people, they never got to go in and have that personal time with God. If you were an average Israelite, no matter how godly you were, no matter how obedient you were, you, were, you did not have that intimate access to God. Remember, only the high priest could step behind the veil. Only the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies to meet with the very presence of God. But we know the New Testament says now Jesus has come. And the price has been paid in full. And now the Bible says God dwells with every Christian individually. He comes to dwell in us. Remember 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Bible says, "...your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit." And that's the same truth Paul's echoing here in verse 22. Every Christian is the dwelling place of God. You say, wow, that's how's that possible? Paul says, by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit's presence. Friend, what an incredible privilege that is for us. you realize what you have? Do you realize what you have, the Holy Spirit in you? For generations, God's people could only ever say, God is with us. God is near us. God is beside us. But on this side of the cross, now we say God is in us. He's in us by His Spirit. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, 17, He said to the disciples in the upper room, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, Christian friends, God is with His people today. God is in His temple today. What is that temple? It's you. It's you. It's you and it's me. It's it's you and me individually and it's you and me corporately as the church. God is with His people. God is in His temple. It's not constructed out of animal skins or hewn logs or stones out of a quarry. It's all living believers who have the Holy Spirit in us and it comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. So God is with His people and God is in His people through the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter who you are. That's true of you if you're a Christian doesn't matter about your nationality, background, your education, your economics, your age, marital status, social status. If you've trusted in Christ by faith, the Bible says you are God's temple. You're one of those stones that's been put into God's holy temple. You're part of that spiritual building in which God makes His dwelling place. Well, friends, as we conclude this morning, we've looked at some amazing truths that relate to our place in this holy nation, this spiritual family, uh, this living building. Three pictures we've looked at today, three pictures meant to illustrate truth about the church. Friends, I hope as you think about these realities today, I hope you'll be greatly encouraged. I hope it'll stir up your heart to Thanksgiving. I hope it'll give you a deeper appreciation of what Jesus has done for you. But friend, just before we go, what should you do with these truths? What do you do with these pictures? You've got such blessings. Guess what? Those blessings come with responsibilities. So can I just ask you a couple questions, friend, at the end here? We talked about you being a citizen. Are you living each day like a citizen of heaven? Do your words, do your attitudes, and do your actions reflect the truth that you are a citizen of heaven? When people look at you, when they talk to you, when they interact with you, when you work at your job, do people see you as a citizen of another world? There's something different about that person. Yes, because they're a citizen of heaven. Friend, I'm asking, do your attitudes and actions, do they reflect what kingdom you really belong to? And then what about your relationship to this family thing? God's family. You know, so often you'll hear dads and moms dealing with a rebellious son or a daughter, and the parents are so heartbroken, they'll say to this rebellious teen, they say, why is everything else so much more important to you and not our family? You can hear the heartbreak in those parents' voice talking to this wayward teen. Why is everything else more important than our family? Well, how many of Christians could hear that same statement? How many Christians say they belong to God's family, but week after week after week, everything else is more important? Believer, I would ask you, how important is the family of God to you? Is it important enough for you to make time for? Is it important enough for you to to come to Sunday school? To come to the fellowship meals? To participate in the community outreach? To participate in the prayer gathering? How do you think your family would feel if you only gave them one hour a week? How do you think God feels? How do you think His church feels when you're only willing to give them one hour a week on Sunday? It's hard to build a family in one hour a week. Friend, if being a member of God's family means something to you, then you'll make time for that family. You'll participate with that family. And then lastly, what about your place in this temple, this living temple, this spiritual building? God's shaping you, and God's honing you. He's chipping away at you. He's expertly fitting you into his spiritual building so that you can rise up and be a part of this church that's bringing him glory. Christian friend, can I ask you, how are you fitting into the church? How do you fit in? Can you talk to me about where you fit in, how you fit in? What is your unique contribution, and are you making it? Do you participate In the church, are you using your skills and your personality and your gifts and your abilities? Are you making a difference for the church? The Bible says you are unique and you are a part. You have an individual role that only you can fill. So I would ask, are you fulfilling your part? Are you being your part even here in this local church? Family, ever since the early 1900s, the, the brilliant marketers and the advertising gurus... They've known that in order to get people to, to understand products better and to get people to buy in, well, using pictures is the way to do it. One of the best ways to get a hold of people is to show them a picture. And no doubt I was living proof of that as I sat there in my kitchen just mesmerized by the picture on the back of a Cheez-Its box. Family, no doubt, words are great. But you know what? Word pictures. Word pictures are even better And here in God's Word, we get some of the greatest Word pictures ever crafted that point us to the majesty and the greatness of the church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege you and I have been given to belong to the church of Jesus. His church is glorious and His church is victorious. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.